He is risen. Well done. Well done. And he is indeed. Uh, a reminder, we have, uh, normally we'd have prayer on Sunday nights here at the church. That is not today, though. So if you're going to come to that, stick around with your family and have some fun this Easter uh, with them instead. Um, so normally, uh, we've been going through 1 Corinthians on Sunday mornings, First by through uh, Corinthians, and it is Easter Sunday. So of course, uh, we won't be in 1 Corinthians 14. We're going to be in 1 Corinthians 15 instead. Um, so I think I get full credit for this passage, though. And then once we get there in our verse by verse, I'm just going to skip it. Definitely. So if you can turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 15, verse 12 through 20. Uh, and I'll read it and you can follow along in your own Bibles. It says, now, if Christ is preached that has not been raised from the dead, how do some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? That he, uh, but if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty and your faith is also empty. Yes, and we are found false witnesses of God because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ whom he did not raise up if, in fact, the dead do not rise. For if the dead did not rise, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile. You're, you are still in your sins. Then also those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men the most pitiable. But now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. God, we thank you for the resurrection of your son, Jesus Christ. We pray that his name would be exalted in our midst today. Amen. Um, now, I really, it shouldn't come as a surprise to you that this morning we're going to be in 1 Corinthians. This is familiar territory for you by now. Your Bibles ought to just open up to 1 Corinthians on its own. Um, we've been studying 1 Corinthians for quite a bit, and I almost worked it out to where we'd come to this resurrection passage right on Easter Sunday. And I would have been a lot closer had we not taken the two-week break for, from Corinthians during our snowstorm power outage weeks. Uh, but as it is, uh, we're in chapter 14 in our verse-by-verse -verse study. That's where we'll start next Sunday. Come back and get that. And we'll do some chapter 15 this week and then go back to 14 next week and, and catch up. I'm sure you'll, you'll keep track. It'll be fine. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, in its entirety, is a beautiful, victorious passage. There is so much in here about the victory of Christ and the victory that he gives us, the power of resurrection, and, and that which is really the essence of the gospel. It's in here. It's in 1 Corinthians 15. Even though we're not studying all, you know, uh, 50, how many, 58 verses of chapter 15, uh, I'm going to read through uh, our passage, the, the 12 through 20 again. Um, and in these verses, I'm going to point out uh, a few things, seven, uh, that I want to talk about. Seven things that Paul says we wouldn't have if there wasn't a resurrection. The missing pieces, things that would we would be missing out had we not had Easter. Um, and now, of course, they become seven things that we do have and can rejoice in because there is a resurrection. So I'm going to read through these verses again, just verses 12 through 20. And as I go through, I'm going to point out those seven things, that, what they are, and, and we'll take them each one by one. 
says, Now if Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty and your faith is also empty. So let's read this in reverse for the good news. It says, If Christ is not risen, then your faith is empty. But we can say, Since Christ is risen, then these things are not empty. Then your preaching is not empty. Since Christ is risen, your faith is not empty. Instead, your faith is full. That's thing one and thing two, either preaching and faith. Verse 15 says, Yes, and we are found false witnesses of God because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ, whom he did not raise up, if in fact the dead did not rise. The we here that he writes about is the apostles. Uh, the teachings of the apostles are collected and condensed for us in the New Testament. And if Christ is not risen then these teachings of scripture are false and the apostles are false witnesses. But reverse it, turn it on and said, since Christ is raised, then we can be confident that the testimony of the apostles that you have in the New Testament, the, their testimony is true. It is one of these, it's one of the reasons we can trust the book that we hold. That's number three. Now for if Christ or sorry, for if the dead do not rise, verse 16, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. If Christ is not risen, you are still in your sins. But, turn it on its head. As the hymn goes, my sins, oh, the bliss of the glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole, are nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, oh, my soul. That's number four. Verse 18 says, then also these, those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. He's saying, if Christ is not risen from the dead, then those we love who knew the Lord, who have, who have died, then they are gone. They are no more. They have perished. There is no hope after death. And how great it is that we get to reverse this and say, because Christ is risen from the dead, those who have died in Christ have not perished. Dead saints aren't dead. That's number five. In verse 19, it says, if in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men the most pitiable. Or in the English Standard Version, if in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. And there are two statements that we get to turn upside down in this verse. First, because Christ is risen, our hope is not in this life only. We have a hope that extends past, above, and beyond this life only. We have hope that goes beyond this world and its troubles, beyond this life and its frailty. And then second, because Christ is risen, we Christians are not to be pitied. We have a living hope. We have peace, we have joy, we have all things pertaining to life and godliness. We have every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ. We are not to be pitied. We're to be envied. And why? Verse 20, but now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Christ is risen and he is the first fruits, meaning just as death was a route that Christ took on his way towards resurrection, so we too, if we make it to death before the Lord's return, will go through the same route and arrive at the same end. Resurrection is promised. Easter is the celebration of Christ's resurrection and the hope of our own resurrection. 
We celebrate the real historical event of Christ's resurrection, and we celebrate the no less real future resurrection that each one of us will participate in. So let's list these once more, rephrasing Paul's if Christ is not risen, turning that around to the victorious positive since Christ is risen. Number one, since Christ is risen, preaching is not empty. Number two, since Christ is risen, your faith is not empty. Three, since Christ is risen, the apostles are not liars and we have reason to believe their account is true. Number four, if Christ is risen, you are no longer in your sins. Number five, since Christ is risen, the dead in Christ are not dead. Number six, since Christ is risen, our hope is not in this world only, but beyond. And finally, number seven, because Christ is risen, Christians are not pitiful. (laughs) Not to be pitied. In verse 14, it says, if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty. And the reversed Uh, The reversal of this with the joy of resurrection is that since Christ is risen, our preaching is not empty. We as the church, since the time of the apostles, have been entrusted with one very simple, very remarkable, powerful message. And it is this, that Christ died for our sins, was buried, and is risen from the dead. All that, you can go back to verse 3 of chapter 15, which I'm sure we'll get to in a couple of weeks. But it's a simple message. It's easy to remember. Uh, You don't need flashcards to remember it. You would pass this quiz, unlike this morning. The Sunrise Service people didn't pass their quiz, but you guys will do okay. No, I'm kidding. Um, It's easy to understand. It's easy to remember. The gospel is easy, and with easy things, we like to complicate them a great deal, and we question those things that are too good to be true or too simple to work. But the message we preach isn't empty because it is true. It is not a false promise When we say our preaching is not empty, we're not talking about the portion of the weekly worship service when the pastor talks a lot. We are speaking of the message that every Christian has been entrusted with and carries into the world on a daily basis. The gospel that has saved you, that you have been entrusted with, is a full, potent, powerful gospel. It is not an empty message. Romans 1.16 says this gospel is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. The preaching of this gospel is the power of God. It is not empty. It is not preached in vain. And what Paul is saying in 1 Corinthians is that this gospel that each one of us it, it has been entrusted with to preach and it is to always be on our lips. It's, it's a gospel that stands or falls on this historic fact. The truth is empty. The tomb, excuse me, is empty. Because Christ is risen, the message we preach is not empty. Because it really happened, because he really lives, the gospel that we preach isn't make-believe. What's the opposite of empty? Full. The gospel that we preach is full to the brim. It is through the gospel, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ that we access every spiritual blessing. Ephesians 1. So the gospel that is called the power of God, it's our access to every spiritual blessing. It is mighty to save. Listen to what Peter has to say about this gospel. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. He says that his divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who granted us to his own glory and excellence by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature. There's some deep mysteries there having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. 
The gospel is his divine power that is given to us as the knowledge of God, even allowed us to be partakers of the divine nature. We have been born again to a living hope. And the spirit of God who has delivered us from the consequences of sin and continues to deliver us from the power of our own sinful desire now actually lives inside of us. We have this because the gospel, the gospel we preach is not empty. It is full. But the gospel we preach is not empty only because the tomb is empty. He is risen. Verse 14, if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty. And our answer, since Christ is risen, is risen, our preaching is full. But our preaching is not the only thing that is full, of course. When we, when, um, we, what we speak comes inevitably from what we believe. And the second point is that our faith is not empty. Still in verse 14, it says, If Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty, and your faith is also empty. To state this uh, negative truth positively, we say, Because Christ is risen, our faith is well-founded. Our faith is also full to the brim. To put it another way, because of the resurrection of Christ, we have something solid that we can put our faith in. Because Jesus rose from the dead, we have something, someone that we can trust absolutely. We want to be able to trust people. Uh, some of us wish we could be able to trust people more. Uh, we want someone we can count on. All the way back to the Garden of Eden, we see that Adam and Eve glorified God by trusting him for everything. And the first attack was on their faith in God's trustworthiness. Did God really say? And that same serpent still whispers, does God really care? Can God really help? And the cross proves his care. The resurrection declares his power to help. So we have the answers to those doubts right there. Our faith is not empty. If Christ is not risen, then your faith is in vain. But because Christ is risen, then your faith is full. It is filled to capacity. You can have confidence and place your full weight on your Savior, knowing that he can hold you up and sustain you. It might be worth asking, what is an empty faith? I would say probably it's a faith that disappoints, that lets you down. Uh, you hope for someone to behave a certain way. You hope for people to keep their promises. You have faith for a certain outcome, and then it doesn't happen the way you want it. If Christ is not risen, we're in for a big disappointment. But as Paul writes in Romans 5.5, 5, hope does not disappoint. Not our brand of hope. Our faith is full. We can trust Jesus. Because to, to everything he has promised, he has given assurance, this guarantee, the victory over death. We can believe that his sacrifice on the cross was sufficient because he provided the receipt of that transaction in the form of an empty tomb. We believe that he is mighty to save because his even death could not stop him from securing what he intended to secure. Your faith in Jesus is well-founded and full because of resurrection. And that takes us to the next point in the next verse. In verse 15, Paul writes, yes, and we are found false witnesses of God because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ, whom he did not raise up if, in fact, the dead do not rise. Uh, not only can we trust Jesus because of the resurrection. Do you really want to question a guy who beat death? I didn't think so, right? <laughs> we trust him, but we can trust the apostles as well because they were writing and teaching on this one foundation. Christ is risen and is alive and has delivered on all of his promises. 
The apostles' doctrine or teaching is what we have in our New Testaments. And it is centered around the doctrine that we are celebrating today, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The way Paul is arguing is this. If you don't believe in the resurrection, why would you believe anything else the church has ever taught? You know, it may be that that stale, good person argument that is sometimes given concerning Jesus was also given to the apostles and the early church. Well, they're nice people. I really like, you know, the moral teachings and the community service stuff. Uh, but the whole Jesus is risen from the dead thing just seems a bit much for me. Paul says, no, you don't get to play that card. You don't get to say that. If you discard the miraculous bodily resurrection of a dead man, then we're all lying to you. Do not trust us. We're not deceived. We're not misled. We are evil men who wish to lead you astray throughout the whole book. But again, we reverse this argument. Since Christ is risen, then these men who know Christ to be risen are not disqualified as false teachers. Those men who fled from Jesus' enemies in the Garden of Gethsemane came afterwards and declared him to be alive and were willing to die for it. Enemies of Christ, like Paul, met the resurrected Lord. If this didn't happen, Paul is a liar. This is why he included earlier in this chapter, in verses 5 through 8 of 1 Corinthians 15, the eyewitness accounts of the resurrection. He says, we're serious about this. And if we're correct about something as earth-shattering, as paradigm-shifting as the resurrection from the dead, you might want to consider that we're also correct about the instructions in like how to care for orphans and widows and love your spouse and obey your parents and serve and love each other. We're basing it all on the resurrection. We're right about heaven and hell too and about how to get to the one and avoid the other. The resurrection gives credibility to the teachings of the apostles, which we have in the scripture in the New Testament, because Christ is risen. We take the words of those men who he appeared to seriously because Christ is risen and because he anointed the apostles with the Holy Spirit and appointed them to make disciples of all nations, promising to lead them to all truth, we take the scripture seriously. Paul is right. If Christ is not risen, none of that makes, it, it makes any sense. The writings of the apostles, they're worthless. But since Christ is risen, we have another reason to place our confidence in the written word of scripture. Our preaching is not empty. Our faith is not in vain. The apostles were not liars. And number four, we are no longer in our sins. Now, Paul states this negatively, of course, in verse 15. And if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. We're repeating the second point about faith and now adding this very important addition. If Christ is not risen, you are guilty and waiting for judgment. You're still in your sins. Now, this is very important. Paul makes it very clear in all of his letters that apart from Christ, we are lost. In Ephesians, he calls us children of wrath. Put that in your baby book, right? Children of wrath, right here. In, in Romans, he says we were enemies of God. And all of this is consistent with Christ's own words, saying that the path is wide that leads to destruction, and many are on that path. We are lost in desperate need. The way Paul talks about it here is that sin is something you are either in or out of. If Christ is not raised, then you are still in your sins. You're marinating in them. You are submerged in them. 
It's a great way of talking about sin. In Colossians 1.13, Paul says to believers, he has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the son of his love. We're talking about kingdoms and powers. We were in the realm of sin and under the authority of sin. We were citizens of this place called sin. And I, I know we're all really good at telling ourselves otherwise. We like to say that we're not that bad and that things aren't so dismal, but the scripture says otherwise. We are in need of rescuing. And unless Christ has risen from the grave, we remain unrescued and unrescuable. We are in our sins. The word speaks of location like a prison. We are in the prison of our sins. And that's how the scripture speaks of them. It says, whoever sins, that one is a slave of sin, John 8, 34. Without a resurrection, sin remains in control and we remain captive. The prison cell we're in is on death row. As Paul says, we were children of wrath. We believe that those who remain in this territory are just waiting for death, a permanent death. The wages of sin is death. Judgment is coming on sin and all of its slaves. And now, every day, but especially on Easter Sunday, especially today, we can say, because Christ is risen, I am free. I am forgiven. I am no longer a slave to my sins. And you might ask, what connection does the resurrection have to my forgiveness? And it's true that we highlight the cross, and rightfully so, saying that it is the death of Christ that secured our pardon. Uh, Romans 4.25 puts it this way. Paul says he was handed over to death on account of our transgressions, and he was raised on account of our justification. That's interesting. I've already said that the resurrection was like a receipt. It's validated the purchase that was made on the cross. It is our confidence. The Pharisees asked, who can forgive sins but God? And Jesus displayed his power by healing a lame man. His miracles served in part to give credibility to the message about the forgiveness of sins. In the book of Acts, we see similar things. Uh, but the miracles of healings are, are uh, really a foretaste of glory is divine, the glories of the resurrection. The resurrection is the ultimate miracle that gives credibility to the statement of Christ, your sins are forgiven. If Christ is not raised, then you are still in your sins. He was raised for your justification, Romans 4.25 says. If he is not raised, then you are not justified. But since Christ is risen, you are justified. If your faith, which is full, is in him, and you are not in your sins because then you are not in your sins because Christ has claimed victory over them. To believe in the resurrection is to know the power of his resurrection. And this means true and real power over temptation and sin. Oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to the cross and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, O oh my soul. Number five, since Christ is risen, the dead in Christ are not dead. Verse 17 and 18, and if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile, you're still in your sins, 18, then also those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. Paul ties all the hopes of heaven, all the hopes of life after death, all the hopes of any joyous reunion with those who have gone before us. He puts it all on this one thing, the resurrection of Christ. Now each one of us have people in heaven whom we love, who have loved us. 
And the thought of being reunited with them ought to give us tremendous joy and tremendous hope. Now, without the resurrection of Christ, any hope like that is empty and misplaced. But the great reversal that the resurrection of Jesus has accomplished is this. The dead in Christ are not dead. Paul is saying, without any doubt, that because Christ is raised, then your loved ones who Christ saved have not perished, but are very much alive, more alive than any of us sitting here in this room. They are alive. They will live forever. They will live with Christ. And this is a very real benefit of the resurrection that Paul expects his readers to rejoice in and eventually experience firsthand. There are some who attempt at being more spiritual than the Bible and say things like, well, in heaven, we really won't notice any other people around us because we'll just have so much Jesus. So we won't care about anything else because it'll just be God. Wrong. While it is true that we'll love the Lord perfectly, the scripture says that our love for him is demonstrated in our love for other people. The whole of the Old and New Testaments talk about the t a togetherness in God that is very, very real. First Thessalonians 4 says that in the end, the dead in Christ will rise first. They will experience an Easter, a resurrection. And then we, will, we who are alive and remain will meet them in the air, meet them. There will be a meeting, a meeting you don't want to miss. You don't want to excuse it and say, I can just do this by email. You want to actually go to this meeting, okay? And that meeting will be with Christ, of course, but the text in Thessalonians specifically says them, not him. We will meet them, the saints who have died before us. We will meet them in the air and it will be glorious. And this glory, this hope is ours because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. This brings us nicely to the next point in verse 19. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men the most pitiable. There are two of our seven points in this verse, but the first is this. If Christ is not risen, then all of our hopes are only in this life. You better make it count. If Christ is not risen, then all of our hopes are only in this life. And reversed, we trust that because Christ is risen, our hope extends far beyond this life and well into the next. There are plenty of things that people hope for. There are plenty of things that you could hope for. You could hope for world peace. You could hope for uh, prosperous retirement. You could hope for health, wealth, and happiness, and even purpose and great accomplishments that benefit humanity, and then you die. And I'm not speaking against working in this world or making this world a better place, not at all, but I am saying that our final hope is not in this place or this nation or this world. It is in heaven itself. What we do here is not for today. It's not for next year. It's not for a hundred years from now. It is for the glory of God that will radiate a billion years from now and seem like a blink of an eye. And this really matters because as Christians, we are sent as sheep among wolves. We are called to many things and one of them is to suffer. We are called to lay down our lives the way Christ did. We are called to take up our cross the way Christ did. We are called to live sacrificially, love sacrificially at great expense to ourselves so that Christ can receive all the glory. But if Christ is not raised, then that sounds like a bad investment and not the way I want to use my time. If Christ is not raised and our hope is only in the sacrifice, only in the laying down of life, only in the ministry here, even Paul says we ought to be pitied. What a poor excuse for a life well lived. If our hope is in suffering, what kind of weird cult is that? That would be ridiculous. Our hope is in Christ, who is alive. 
Because Christ is risen, our call is not just to sacrifice and suffer for the sake of sacrifice and suffering, but rather to love God and enjoy him forever. We are called to a joy that, according to Paul, makes every sacrifice in this extremely temporary 70, 80, 90 years on earth unfit to be compared with the glories that await us. Because of the resurrection, our hope goes beyond this life. And finally, because of the cross, we are not to be pitied. This is the seventh and final point. Christians are not pitiful. That may sound strange, but I'm saying it on purpose, and I'll say it's opposite on purpose too. Christians should be envied if only they knew what we have. Because of the resurrection, we have everything. We have every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. That's not small. And it's true that without the resurrection, we're hopeless. But because of the resurrection, we have every blessing, every hope, every joy awaiting us in the presence of God. We have free access to God now because of the blood of Jesus. Rejoice in these gifts. Rejoice that our preaching, the message that you have been entrusted with, is not empty. Rejoice that your faith is full and trustworthy. Rejoice in the resurrection that assures us of the truth of this gospel, the preaching of the apostles. Rejoice today, if you rejoice in anything, that your sins are forgiven, not in part, but the whole. That you have passed from judgment into life and that Christ has raised you up from the grave. Rejoice in the hope of meeting the dead in Christ who are not really dead. Rejoice in the hope of eternity, which is above and beyond any hope we could have in these short, short lives in this corruptible place. Rejoice that in having all of this and more, in having every spiritual blessing in heavenly places, you as a Christian are the least to be pitied. You have Christ. You have been raised with Christ. Your life is now hid with Christ in God. Rejoice in this death-defeating salvation. Let's pray. Jesus, we worship you and we thank you for these good, great, and glorious gifts that you've given your church. We thank you that our faith is not empty, that our sins are forgiven, and that we have you to hope in and to look forward to. I pray that you would bless your church with the knowledge of the power of God, the same power that raised Christ from the dead. Bless us with that. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Please stand up on this wonderful Easter Sunday. There's prayer afterwards for anyone wanting prayer for anything specific. There's people happy to pray with you. The rest of you get out of here so they can pray afterwards, okay? All right, let's sing. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him all creatures here below. Praise Him above ye heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen. You are sent.